college, the classes I took that stressed me out the most were classes where there was not that much homework, if any at all, not that many papers, if any at all, but those classes where you had a midterm and a final exam and nothing else. And the reason why those classes stressed me out was because I did not like my grade for the class being determined by just two exams. That was just too much pressure for me. I mean, if you messed up on one of those two exams, it was nearly impossible to recover. And believe me when I say that many of these exams were difficult. They were, because you're talking about hundreds of pages of reading and a notebook's worth of notes taken from hours upon hours of lectures that you would have to sift through and learn when studying for these exams. For that reason, I always loved it in those types of classes when you had a professor who would give a review just a few days before the exam. Now, it didn't happen often, but every now and then, a professor would stop about 15 minutes before class was over, a few days before the exam, and would say, okay, here is what you really need to pay attention to when studying for this exam. I tell you, those words, when I heard them, were some of the best words this college student could hear. It was right up there with free pizza. Come and you get free pizza. That, that, it was right up there with that. And when I would hear those words, I would perk up even more than I already was. I'd pop my knuckles, I'd get that pen in hand and get ready to write down everything that professor was about to say. And the reason why is because the material given in that 15 to 20 minute review would greatly reduce the amount of material I would have to sift through and read over and learn for that particular exam which would also greatly reduce the amount of time I would have to spend studying for that particular exam, which would also greatly reduce the amount of stress that I would have when it came to thinking about my final grade for that particular class. Well, for the past six weeks now, beginning in 1 Corinthians 8 on into chapter 9 and now in chapter 10, Paul has been discussing one subject, the subject of Christian liberty. And he has talked about a whole host of things related to this subject. He's talked about the fact that we are free as believers when it comes to morally gray issues. But Paul has also said, though that's the case, we should not just plow ahead when exercising our liberties without any consideration of others. He says we must allow our love for our lesser mature brothers and sisters in Christ limit the freedoms we have. He says that out of a love for some, we must be willing to waive certain rights that we have so that we don't cause another brother or sister in Christ to stumble and to violate conscience and to sin against God. Paul's also given several examples of what this is to look like. Remember in chapter 9, he puts himself forward and he reminds his audience of how he has waived the rights that he has 
for their benefit and for the furtherance of the gospel. He also warned them about the dangers of pushing personal freedoms to its limits because of the dangers of falling into sin. He also warned the Christians at Corinth the dangers of pride and he explained to them that the one who thinks he stands needs to be on guard or he or she is going to fall and just this last week in the middle of chapter 10 we learned that Paul gives an additional warning to those who are living on the edge spiritually and he tells them you better move back you better stop pushing your liberty to its limits or you're gonna fall so for six weeks for two and a half chapters, for 62 verses now, Paul has been discussing how we should think about our liberties as believers and how we should exercise those liberties and when we should waive the freedoms that we have in Christ. Well, as we close out this section this morning on Christian liberty, our professor, the Apostle Paul, is going to give us a review of what we have learned in these three chapters, and he is also going to build a bit on what he has said on this particular subject. And he does this by drawing our attention to one key point, one essential truth, one critical principle to keep in mind when it comes to Christian liberty, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Look down at 1 Corinthians 10.31. And I would say that this verse here is not only the key verse in this passage, but is one of the most, if not the most important teachings for us as believers in all the Bible. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Paul says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. John MacArthur, when speaking on this verse, said this verse is the bottom line on the Christian life. The bottom line on the Christian life, it is. Here Paul tells us the primary reason we were put on this earth. He says the reason we are here is to glorify God in all that we do. And Paul shows us in this passage that one of the most important areas to apply this principle is when it comes to Christian liberty. He basically says, you want to know when it's okay for you to exercise the freedoms that you have and when to waive those rights? Let this verse be the measuring rod for your life. He says in all you do, you need to constantly be revisiting 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and ask yourself, is what I'm considering doing Whatever it is, is it going to bring glory to God or is it going to defame Him and His name? Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Here's the thing. Still have to answer the question, how do we do this? How do we know which response is going to honor God in areas where Scripture is silent? How can we honor God when it comes to morally gray issues? Well, Paul is going to tell us here in this passage. In this passage, he gives us four ways to honor God when exercising Christian freedom. Let's take a look at these. 
the first way is to choose edification over gratification. Look at verse 23. Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. In this verse, Paul revisits this popular Corinthian catchphrase that all things are lawful. This was a slogan that was apparently widely and commonly used among the Christians at Corinth. As I mentioned in an earlier sermon, the the Christians at Corinth had adopted a Rolling Stones outlook on the Christian life. They often reason, I'm free to do what I want any old time. That was their motto. All things are lawful for me. And Paul recites this catchphrase here and once again agrees with them to an extent that they are free. He again gives credibility to the phrase, all things are lawful. He says, you're right to say that you are free. You are, but he qualifies it once again by saying, but not all things are helpful. Not all things build up. That phrase, build up, used in the ESV, is also translated in other translations as edify. The Greek word is often used to refer to the the constructing of a building or the building up of a house. And Paul is using this word in a spiritual sense to say that at times when one exercises their liberty, it does not build up other believers spiritually, which Paul states does not honor God. When I introduced this section on Christian liberty in chapter 8, remember I said that some have the attitude that Christian liberty means I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. When it comes to areas where Scripture is silent, the Bible doesn't say it, I'm going to do it no matter what. Remember I said that many with this mentality, they exercise their liberties without even considering anyone else. Many of us, we respond like Abel's brother Cain in Genesis 4 when he said, am I my brother's keeper? Many of us, we think in this way. We think, why do I have to worry about the hang-ups of other people? Why do I have to worry about how my actions are going to affect others? I know what Scripture teaches, and I know I'm free to do it. All things are lawful for me, so he or she is just going to have to get over it. They're going to have to grow up. That's how many respond. What's the issue with that logic? Well, like I said in chapter 8, the problem with that logic is Scripture tells us we are our brothers and sisters keepers, doesn't it? Think about the responsibilities that God has left for us as people. We've been called by God to seek out followers of Him. And when the lost are found, we are called to disciple them. And as believers, we are called to pour our lives into one another by praying for one another, by sharpening one another, by training and teaching one another. We are called to build one another up. Paul has taught us in this section of Scripture and repeats it here for us in verse 24 that before we exercise our liberties and our freedoms, we need to consider how our actions are going to affect our brothers and sisters 
in Christ. We need to consider whether or not our actions are going to build them up or whether or not it's going to tear them down. God's Word is clear. That there is only one way we are to respond. If we're going to exercise liberty in a way that honors God, we have to choose that which edifies. We have to choose that which builds up. So when deciding whether or not to exercise your Christian liberty, you have to ask yourself this question if you want to live a life that's honoring to God, which is why we were put on this earth, right? You have to ask, will my actions build up my brother or sister in Christ or will it tear him or her down? Then you'll have your answer. Second point Paul gives here is similar to the first, and it's this. To honor God in the way we exercise our liberties, we must choose others over self. Look at verse 24. Paul says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. It's pretty simple, right? Pretty easy to understand. But the problem is, this is not something that comes natural to us, is it? The Lord Jesus, during His earthly ministry, He made this as clear as any. He often criticized the world's definition of greatness, and He makes the point more than a few times that true greatness is putting others first. He says the one who is truly great is the one who considers himself last and a servant of all. Jesus not only taught this for us, he modeled it, didn't he? For his death, he gave a great illustration of this when he washed his disciples' feet in the upper room. And remember what he said to them when he was finished? He said, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Now he's talking about more than just washing feet here, folks. He says, this is an example. This is an illustration that I have given you that you are to consider others before yourself. You are to put others first and you are to serve one another. Like we've said already, and in previous sermons, when it comes to Christian liberty, many have this mentality. They think me first. They think who cares what others think. They reason in this way. They say, whatever I want to do, I'm going to do it. I mean, believers, be honest. Is this not true? Let's be honest. Limiting our liberty for others is not an easy thing for us to do, is it? It's hard enough to resist sin, much less waive the rights that we have and refrain from doing something that is lawful for us to do. God tells us in His Word that this is a sacrifice we should be willing to make and is the sacrifice that will bring glory to God. Well, there's a third point Paul gives when it comes to honoring God with our liberties, and it's this. Choose liberty over legalism. Okay, here we go. So what many of you have been waiting to hear for the past six weeks. Choose liberty over legalism. I know there are some of you in here who are thinking to yourself, if I conform in every way, 
and am constantly making accommodations for others' hang-ups, this could become very limiting for me because there are some people who are opposed to everything. Some people who think any type of music except for Southern Gospel is of the devil. They hate TV, hate movies, are against caffeine, won't go to restaurants if it serves alcohol, and they hate Disney movies. I mean, the list goes on and on. So where's the line? Where's the balance? Well, Paul tells us here in the next few verses. Look at verse 25. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Here he tells the mature Corinthians once again, you are free, okay? So don't take what I have said and become overscrupulous. Don't be picky, but enjoy your freedom. He says, when you go to the marketplace, don't ask questions. Don't ask a million questions to the butcher. Mr. Butcher, tell me the story behind this meat. You know who handled it before me? Did it make its way into the pagan temples? Was it handled by the pagan priest? Was it offered to Zeus or whatever gods out there? Don't ask those kind of questions. Paul says, don't worry about it. Eat and enjoy. Look at verse 26. Paul quotes Psalm 24, 1 here. He says, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Paul's point here is that this meat has been provided by the Lord because the earth and everything in it is His. So thank Him for it and eat it. Now again, like we said, previous passages and the passage we looked at last week, Paul would still say, Now, you have to keep God's word in mind and not violate the word of God. And he says, stay away. You know, he would still say, stay away from idol feasts and refrain from involving yourself in their pagan practices and in pagan celebrations. But he says, don't worry about meat in the meat market. Buy it and eat it and enjoy it and thank God for it and don't worry about it. Don't ask needless questions, but enjoy your liberties. Don't create unnecessary difficulties, but remember that everything is the Lord's. Remember that he made everything and receive it with thanksgiving. Look at verse 27. Paul says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Here in verse 27, Paul gives an example of a time it's okay to choose liberty over legalism. When he says, he, he says here, when an unbeliever invites you to dinner, in other words, when you are eating with someone who does not have the hang-ups that a lesser mature Christian might have, Paul says don't limit your liberties because it's not going to offend him or her. Now, it might if you don't eat, but it's not if you do. Paul says don't waive the freedoms that you have in that situation, but rather eat and enjoy. And believers, we can apply this to today, right? Someone invites you over to their house, maybe it's an unbeliever or someone that doesn't have the, the, these certain hang-ups, don't ask questions like, was there real rum used in this rum cake? If so, don't cut me a slice, you know? No, eat and enjoy. Choose liberty over legalism. Now you still, once again, keep the word of God in mind. You don't want to violate God's word. You don't want to compromise yourself morally. 
But there are times to choose liberty over legalism. And, I, and you also still want to keep in mind your weaker brother or sister in Christ. But at the same time, you don't want them to remain weak, do you? You see the tension here? See the tension here Paul's getting at? Like I said earlier, we are called to build one another up. And how are you going to build up a brother or sister in Christ if you allow them to remain weak and immature? Now, some will say, how do we help out this guy or girl who has non-biblical hang-ups? Like we've already said, we're not to force them to do something that's uncomfortable for them and cause them to violate their conscience and sin against God. So how do we help them? I'll tell you how. By waiving the liberties that you have out of love for them and then by pouring yourself into them, by coming alongside them and, and investing in this person and over time explaining to them why you restricted the freedoms that you have. You don't want legalists to remain legalistic. But you want to get on their level. You want to build them up. You want, to, you want to train them in the Word of God. You want to teach them why you are doing what you're doing so you can help them grow out of that legalism so that they can get to the point where they enjoy certain liberties they have in Christ and so you can go back to enjoying yours. You see? That's how you honor God, by choosing liberty over legalism. Number four. To honor God with our liberties, we must, number four, choose accommodation over participation. Let me explain this. First, look at verse 28 and 29. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Here, Paul continues with the illustration of, of having dinner with a non-believer. And in verse 28, he adds an element to this dinner. He says, let's say you're eating with a non-believer and another believer who is, is, is with you, who, there's another believer with you who lacks maturity. And during this meal, you're about to dig into this big, juicy steak, and they say to you, hey, 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 you can't eat that. That's been offered to an idol. That's been handled by the, by the pagan priests. That's demon meat. What do you do in that situation? Paul says, you do not eat it. If given the choice... You should choose to accommodate your lesser mature brother or sister in Christ over exercising your liberty with a non-believer. Paul's basically saying here, if you have a choice to offend the Christian or the non-Christian, you choose to offend the non-Christian. Now, some have issues with this. They say, what? Are you kidding me? I thought we were supposed to be all about winning the lost. Won't this repel them? If we offend them, listen, I want you to get this. This is key. We are to respond in this way because we are trying to win them. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if what? If you have love for one another. The way we love and care 
for other believers is one of the key marks of our Christian faith, which is sad because it's lacking in a lot of our churches. It's one of the key marks of our Christian faith. If that is absent from our lives as Christians, our witness is ruined. It is. Because if a non-believer witnesses bickering and arguing and unloving attitudes between two believers, he's not going to come to understand the Christian message no matter what you eat. That's Paul's point. So believers, if we want to honor God and bring glory to his name in the way we exercise our freedom, we need to make sure that the love that we have for one another is priority number one in our lives because that's our greatest testimony in the world. It is. Paul adds in verse 30, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? His point here is that it makes you look like a hypocrite if you call yourself a Christian and express your thankfulness to God for the food and then offend your Christian brother with it. Paul asks, are you going to praise God for your meal and then offend your Christian brother or sister and cause him to stumble with the very food you express thanks for? No. And again, Paul's just making the point. If given the choice, make accommodations for the sake of your Christian brother because your love for one another is a distinguishing mark of your faith. In this section, Paul puts himself forward once again as an example to the Corinthian believers on how to live peaceably with others. At the end of chapter 10, he makes the point that it's best, if at all possible, to live peaceably with everyone. This is similar to what he says in Romans 12, 18, when he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. He gives a similar word here in verses 32. Look what he says. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, to believers or non-believers. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says, though at times offending someone is unavoidable, he says, follow my example as I follow Christ's and make every effort not to offend anyone and put others before yourself so that they can see the Christian message in you and in the way you live your life so that they might be saved. Believers, if we do that, if we will love our Christian brothers and sisters in this way, if we will make every effort, not compromising the truth of God's word, but beyond that, make every effort to live peaceably with all and follow the examples of Paul and the Lord Jesus, I assure you that our life will matter for eternity. It will. I assure you, if you do that, that the life you live will be honoring and glorifying to God. Before we close, there is a key truth that I need to mention when it comes to bringing glory to God that some of you in here need to understand before you can move ahead in life with Him. 
if you want to live a life that is honoring to God, you must first make sure that you are trusting in Christ for your salvation so that you can be at peace with God. If you're not in a right standing with God, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't. You're just spinning your wheels. You're trying to live a good life apart from being at peace with God and in a right standing with Him through trusting in the Lord Jesus. Scripture is clear. That our best deeds apart from God are sinful. You know why? Because they're done apart from God. That's key. Think of the most charitable person that you know and then think on this. If they are being charitable apart from God, they are guilty of doing the same thing Adam did when he rebelled against God. They're trying to carve out meaning and significance in their life on their own apart from God. And Scripture tells us that that is sinful to do that. To do that is to repeat the very sin of Adam. It is. God is never pleased with a life that is lived apart from Him, charitable or not. He is pleased with a life lived for God, lived for Him, through the person of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here this morning, and up to this point in your life, you've thought your best to be good enough. I'm here once again, like I have a tendency to do on occasion, to rain on your parade. I've got a bad habit of doing that at times. But this is important. I'm here to tell you that it's not. Your best is not good enough. In fact, we're told in Scripture, your best falls infinitely short of God's perfect standard. Therefore, you need what only Christ can give you, perfect righteousness. Christ, through His perfect obedience, His substitutionary death, and through His physical and bodily resurrection, has made it possible for us to be forgiven, to be made righteous, and to be secure with Him for all eternity. If you're not trusting in Christ for your salvation, I invite you this morning to do just that so that you can be at peace with God and so that you can begin to live the life you are called to live, the life you are put on this earth to live, a life for God and for His glory. Would you pray with me?